Uh, it may seem like today's message is not gospel-centered, but I, I promise you it is. Um, because what we're talking about today is, is, is something to ensure that mornings like this morning happen, happen regularly. Morning, today's message is to ensure that, that everything that we do, every time that we take a breath, every day that God gives us life is that we are about the most important thing, his great commission, sharing his gospel with those around us. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 6. It'll take us a few minutes to get there, but I promise you that we will get to Acts chapter 6. As you're turning there, I want to take you back and just to, as a reminder of where we have been this year. And back in January, we started 2023 with a series called Awkward Silence. Uh, and the, the whole purpose behind that series was to get us just to slow down and sit with God a little bit because we have become experts in being reactionary and uh, in, 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 in having these knee-jerk reactions to things. When somebody says something we don't like and it's in, instantly we quit listening. Uh, somebody asks us to do something and we either say yes because that's what we're supposed to do or we say no because our plates are, our schedules are too busy already and we don't take time to think about those things. When somebody teaches something that maybe is foreign to us, we, we shut it down. But the whole purpose of that series was to start off the year by encouraging us just to slow down and spend time with God. So we talked about Sabbath. We talked about silence and solitude, spending time with the Creator, with the Savior, any time that we open up Scripture whether that's at our dining room table at home, whether that's in a care group, whether that's in a Bible study or here together, opening it up and sitting with God. Then we jumped into what was supposed to be a one-month one series but ended up being a two-month series on, biblic, on discovering biblical disciple-making. And we followed after the commands of Jesus when he said initially to, to a group of unbelievers, just come and see what this is all about. And then he said, well, why don't you follow me and just pay attention and then follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then finally, as in the nicest way that Jesus can say it, get out of here and bear fruit. And we, it's our goal to imitate that and for us to every day that he gives us breath to look more and more like our Savior Jesus. And then we jumped into the resurrection where we talked about anticipating the resurrection and celebrating the resurrection and reveling in the revelation, uh, re resurrection. Because according to the Apostle Paul, if it's not for the resurrection, then our faith is meaningless and pointless. But Jesus was a man of his words, and he said, I'm going to rise again, and he did. Uh, he defeated death, and that is why we can be strong in our faith as Christians, because our king is alive. And then last week, Jeremiah, just a, a beautiful job of, of succinctly and simply but completely talking about what the gospel was, how it is so simple, but it is so perfect and so complete. We don't need to add anything to it because Jesus accomplished it all. He shared a lot from Philippians, which really is a love letter from the Apostle Paul to this church that he loved dearly that you can read about starting up in the middle chapters of the book of Acts. And, 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 he, shared in the, and he shared several scriptures, and one that just keeps speaking to me over and over is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul encourages, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, or the New Living Translation says fighting side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Fight side by side. And one of the things that we fight for is the purity of the message we have been sent and given breath to proclaim the gospel. That's what we want to be about, being as faithful and as effective in sharing the gospel as we possibly can. Because God has created and commissioned the church to carry out what he began, taking the gospel to the end of the earth. So this next season of, of, of sermons, just three, are going to focus on one of the aspects integral to the church being able to carry out that mission on a regular, consistent basis. We're going to talk about leadership, specifically what the New Testament talks about church leadership. Narrowing it down even more, two terms, elders and deacons. And again, I want us to lean into this because this is important to what we want to do as a body of believers. If we are all about the gospel, all about the Great Commission, then not only individually, but corporately as a, as a local church, we want to be as committed as we can to making sure nothing slows down or tarnishes or gets in the way of that message. So just up front, I'm gonna erase a couple things. Any rumors, any gossip, anything? Tony Foreman is not trying to turn this Baptist church into something that resembles another denomination. Don't care to do that. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I stand before you almost every week and say, I want us to be as true to this book as we possibly can in every aspect of life. I, uh, we're not preaching something that's anti-Baptist, and we're going to talk more about this next week. Right? Uh, the Baptist churches have a rich tradition of being elder-led. And it wasn't until recently that we deviated from that. Uh, there's, and most of the resources that we have looked at over the last several years have come from Baptist authors and Baptist pastors. Our desire is that we, my desire is that my faith family is as committed and as consistent as possible in preaching and proclaiming and living out the gospel. And it's not just my desire. If you can... You could picture nine other men on stage with me this, this morning. Even more than that, because your leaders have been studying this for, a min, for many, many years. Several, several variations of our deacon board, as we rotate on and off, have studied biblical church leadership. And we have prayed and we have, we have debated, we have, we have studied, we have talked about, and now we are ready to spend some time publicly talking about what we think is a very important message, a very important component of our faithfulness in carrying out the Great Commission. So today, today we are, I simply want you to see that on the pages of the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, that as Jesus sets up his church and hands it off to, disciple, to apostles and disciples, that to get things rolling, he used elders and deacons. That's all I want to accomplish this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about why we believe that this applies to us today, 2,000 plus years later. 
And it wasn't just something describing how the church got started or just something that was in Corinth or in Ephesus, why it, why it still sticks for us. And then on the third week, Mark McCain, our deacon chair this year, is going to switch and combine in there not just biblical but practical reasons why this is a good thing for us to consider. We're asking during this time for all of our care groups to join us in studying uh, the, the, these, three, these three lessons. Um, and going deeper. So the one sheet for the next three weeks has been replaced by like a five sheet, uh, a study guide to take us through and deeper into things. If you're, not into, if you're not in a small group, please use the church app, go to the website, pick up a paper copy on your way out and study. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your nine deacons and past deacons word for it. Dig into the word yourself to make sure that what is being conveyed and shared is true to scripture. Go to your knees in prayer, right? To make, and, and just talk, spend time with your father. Right? Our, our goal after this short three-week series is to shortly thereafter get a copy of a, a constitution and bylaws in your hands that could show you a picture of what this looks like in actuality, Trans, uh, tra making a transition from our current constitution and organizational structure to a new one. And for some of us, it's merely semantics. Because to be honest, for the past several years, our deacons have served as shepherds, as elders, as they've cared for you and loved you and led you. For some of us, this is just a slight move. For some of us, this is pretty big because uh, I've, been in, I've been in church for, for, for 30, 40 years, and this, is, this has always been how we do it. And that's why I'm asking you to go back to January and remember what we talked about, about slowing down and spending time with your God in Scripture and in prayer. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to give some opportunities for us just to come together and talk about this, this document, this organizational structure. And then after everybody's back off a of summer vacation uh, in the fall, we're going to look at it again in another series. And then, ho and then in, uh, in, in, in the fall, before Thanksgiving rolls around, our goal is to have a special meeting where, where we ad adopt this new, what we believe, more biblical structure. But today... All right. Today, you're just, we're just getting into the topic, and what we want to do today is pretty simple. And we can do it pretty quickly, but I like to talk to you guys. So we're going to take our time a little bit. Because before we just go to those sections of Scripture where these two words appear, I want us to realize something, that, that, that design has always been important, and I'd say has always been paramount to God's plans. If you go clear back to the beginning pages of Scripture, back to the creation um, story, uh, when, Jesus, when God creates, in the beginning, God created, and he created perfection. And in, in this per perfection, God spoke, and he, he created out of the dirt and out of the rib of man, man and woman, and he placed them in Eden. Genesis 1:27 God so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them he created us to bear his image the the, the word there the hebrew word is icon and it means just what it means when you pull up your phone and you see a picture on there and you hit the the message icon to open up messages it's a symbol of something bigger that's what we are we are a representation of something much, much bigger. We are images, image bearers of God. And he gave us 
creation, a perfect creation in which to enjoy him to the fullest. And he created this sphere in which our lives were to be perfect and in perfect relationship with him. And in in Genesis 1 and verse 28, we see the very first words that God said to humanity came in the form of a blessing that was also a command. In Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, he blessed them and then he commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to have dominion. And then a few verses later in verse number 31, and and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. All through creation, every single day of creation, God said it was good. And when man and woman were added to that, it changed just a little bit. It was very good. He created them to enjoy a special relationship with God, the creator. There was work, but it was fruitful. Uh, It was rewarding. It was easy, and it was a part of their purpose. But we know from our days in VBS and Sunday school that Adam and Eve messed up that perfect creation when they chose to believe the lies of Satan over over the truth of God. And when they stepped outside of that sphere that God had created for them, that he had designed for them, perfection was no more. Man's holiness was marred. And because we were no longer holy, meant we could no longer be in direct presence of a holy God because God is perfect And nothing perfect, nothing unholy can be in his presence. So God banished them from Eden. We talked about this uh, around Easter time. But in a demonstration, not of his anger, not of his wrath, but of his sovereign love for us, he pursued his children, his sinful children who turned their back on him, who chose something else over over, over him. He pursued them his wayward children, through men and women, through priests and prophets, through kings and judges, until just the right time, the Messiah came. God himself put on human flesh and came to earth to live for over three decades, to live a perfect life that we could not live on our own. And for three of those years, he committed to discipling people, to raising up men and women, to take what the, mess, the, the mission that he started and take it to fruition until he came back for them once and for all, finally. And, and he, 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 he raised up and he gave them a commission that we talk about almost every other week from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And to be more specific, he said, this is where you're going to go and this is how you're going to go. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon, has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. From the beginning of time, God has given us guidelines in which his children should enjoy a life with him to the fullest. Everything from marriage to parenting from work to play, from finances to how to care for the less fortunate, to how to interact with government, to how to interact with people when we have disagreements or when somebody sins against us. He's given us directives on how to deal with sin, how how to avoid sin, how to forgive sin, how to overcome sin. His instructions are far, far reaching. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the Bible goes even further and says that the believers are giving something powerful. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given uh, has, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of this divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God's word, God's power has given us, has set us up with instructions on every area of our lives and the power to live in relationship with him to the fullest, including his great commission vehicle, the church, and, and, and how it should be run, how it should operate so that it can be as successful as humanly possible in fulfilling the purpose for which it was created, to go and make disciples. So church, we study biblical leadership not because we just desire a different form, or, uh, but because we want to be as true to his word as possible. Because we can see throughout and his de- be true to his design as true to, as possible. Because we can see all throughout creation what happens when we disregard or step outside of God's plan. By God's design, he created and commissioned and empowered the church to share Jesus Christ with a lost world, its only hope. So, he equips us, he calls us, he asks us to use every blessing, every resource, every talent to fulfill two commands, to love him and to love those around us. And what better way to love another person than to introduce them to Jesus Christ, their only hope. So, what is God's design for the church? I'm glad you asked. Finally, Colossians 2.10 reminds us of something very powerful, that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Not just this group of people here, not just his church around the globe, but all power and authority. If you back up into Colossians chapter 1, there's some pretty amazing language used when he talks about who Jesus is and, and in relationship to the church. In in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a became a minister. Church, Jesus, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 1, is the head of the church. And during his life, he raised up the first leaders of the church, apostles and disciples. These, these apostles, these disciples, these men, these women were to take what Jesus started and, and to continue it throughout creation, throughout time, until Jesus either called them home or returned for his bride, the church. But these apostles were not the end. We see them setting up things in, in the early pages of the New, New Testament church, setting things up so that the Christian church was poised and created and designed to carry out the mission for which they had been called, even amid or especially in the middle of persecution and, and, and people coming against it. The church was established so that the main thing would remain the main thing. And we see this first transition from the apostles uh, to disciples, to you and to me in Acts chapter 6. So, if 15 minutes ago you opened your Bible there, let's read a little bit of it together. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1. You can go back and read all kinds of amazing things happening in, in chapters 1 through 5. The Holy Spirit coming, thousands being added to the church, miracles, um, dealing harshly with, with lying to the Holy Spirit and then holding back or embezzling some funds. We see all kinds of great things happening. And the church is growing. It is booming. And here in Acts chapter 6... We have the first recorded instance of something that we are all too familiar with, a right? dissension, problems, complaints. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the, whole, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will, continue, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Right? And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose seven men. Right now, a couple of firsts here. Right, the first complaint right, that came up because somebody was being ignored. Somebody's needs were not being met. So the the, the twelve, right, all the apostles uh, who had been been the eleven plus Matthias, right, who were now brought and said, okay, they say, we need to continue preaching. The church is growing. It's growing because the word of God is being proclaimed. We can't stop doing that. So let's choose some men. So choose from among you men of good reputation, men full of the Holy Spirit, and we'll go from there. And you'll notice something that happens here and has never, ever, 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 ever happened again in the course of Christian history. Right? Um, and what they say it said, please the whole gathering. So they chose these seven men. Stephen, probably the most famous, because here in a few, in just a few pages, he's going to be, become the first recorded Christian martyr. But back up in verse number two, there is this statement in a word. We, it is not right that we give up the preaching of the word to serve. That word serve is the Greek word diakoneo. It appears 37 times uh, from this point forward in Scripture. Simply it means to serve, 
to wait, to help, to administer. Uh, it, it, it often refers to the practical sense uh, of ministry. Uh, and uh, in some places, it even leans toward like the handling of, of church finances. Right? This is the word that we get diagnosed from or deacon, the noun form. And we see this, that word, the noun form, 31 times in Scripture as someone, a trusted servant, a trusted officer in help and service of the local church. And these deacons, these ones who were called to serve, were to serve with the ongoing physical and spiritual needs of the church family so that the rest of them, the apostles here at this, at this time, and then that spreads, could continue with the ministry of the word. So this is the first glimpse we see at deacons in the local church. Well, then who is charged with the ministry of the word? Again, I'm glad you're asking such great questions this morning. When we go to the pages of the New Testament, we see this collection of words that are all used to, to say the same thing or to point toward the same person or group of people. Uh, it, the, the word elder is used 67 times in the epistles. Right? It passed Acts and they had passed the Gospels 67 times. Seven times the word overseer or bishop is used to talk about this position, this office. Um, 18 times either pastor or shepherd are used to, to, to describe these, the, these men who, who are charged with leading uh, the local church. And the main function of this group of, of, of these elders, overseers, pastors, or bishops was to, they, they all all feed into the ministry of the word that we see in Acts chapter 6. So the role of the New Testament deacon was to carry on the business of the church. The New Testament role of the elder, of the overseer, of the shepherd was to continue with the ministry of the word. So what do elders do? Just real quickly, a handful of things. We'll pick up on this a little bit later, but, but elders pray. We saw that in Acts chapter 6, they de devoted to prayer. But also, if you go closer to the end of the New Testament in the book of James, and you see James, the half-brother of Jesus, posing a question. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over. Elders pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, where we have this section that talks about the qualifications that, that a potential elder should have, one of the things that jumps out is he must be able to teach, must be able to preach. Right? Um, also, um, elders shepherd. Right? One of the most powerful and most frequent um, descriptions of the church is a, is a group of sheep. A flock of sheep. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been, spent a whole lot of time around sheep, but they're not the brightest animals on the planet, and they need a shepherd, or else they, else they can be detrimental to themselves, mainly because they're just not paying attention to what's going on around them. So elders shepherd the flock. Now, that's mentioned in Acts 20, which we'll get to in a second. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and Peter wrote these words. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, 
but being an example to the flock. Elders, shepherd. Elders also watch over themselves, uh, their their families, and the church. Uh, 1 Peter mentioned that just a little bit, but Acts chapter 20, writing to or addressing the elders in the town of Ephesus, uh, they say, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders pray, elders preach, elders teach, elders shepherd, elders watch, and elders set a good example. First Peter 5, 2, go over to, to Titus chapter 1 and read how elders are a good example for the church that they care for. And elders raise up other elders so that there's never a time when there's not a group of, of, of dedicated teachers, of overseers for the church so that the gospel can continue. And there is much, much, much more that we could talk about when it comes to elders in the local church. But that is where we're going to stop for this morning. Because all we want you to see is that on the pages of New Testament scripture, that elders and deacons were used by God to start this movement that started taking the gospel message to the end of the earth. And we see the, 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 the results of that. The, the, in Acts chapter 2, thousands. In Acts chapter 6, the church is increasing. And that continues on through the book of Acts, even when the, the governments and the, those around them started, um, started like forcing pressure uh, on the church. It continued to grow and to grow and to grow. In this design that we see in Acts through Revelation, in this design, it was, it was important to the kingdom's early expansion that it was for growing in number, but also in making sure that the church was taking care of those who were already a part of that local body. And that's what we want you to hold on to. That if we want to be as effective as we possibly can, maybe we ought to cling a little bit more tightly to God's design for his gospel vehicle, the church. It's all about keeping the gospel constantly in front of us and in front of a dying world. I love how focused Paul was on the mission to which he was called. And it's the same mission that the church is called to. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why was, God, why was Paul so focused on this? It's because he took Jesus at his word. Back in Matthew, or in John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul took that at face value from his king. Nothing but Jesus and him crucified. You get all types of different messages about who God is, church. Uh, from the media, from those around you, from those who, 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 are, who, who may have been hurt by the church in the past. And they say that God is, is only a vengeful and a wrathful God. And that's true. Go back and look at the prophets. Go back and look at Nahum. 
God is a vengeful and a wrathful God, but he is vengeful and he is wrathful against sin because sin has destroyed his perfect relationship with his creation and he hates it. But we also see that God is love and his love for you compelled him to leave heaven and come to earth and put on flesh to take on the form of a man, to live a perfect life for us. God is love. As we close this morning, I want the familiar words of John chapter three just to, to, to reign over you. And this is the reason that we desire for you as individuals, for your family, and for this church to be so connected to God's design that we naturally and easily and freely and continuously make much of Christ and him crucified. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God or in God. Church this morning, are we collectively, are we doing all that we can in both form and function to ensure that this Jesus and his love is proclaimed always? Individually, do we see Jesus, do we see God as only vengeful, and wrathful, ready to pounce on us or, or just zap us with divine judgment because when we step outside of his design? Or do we also see the loving God who left everything to come for you? I desire to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Why? Because God loved us so much that Jesus came. And that is the message, church, that we must be screaming with every breath that we are given.